the feminist movement was a dominant force in the 20th century and continues stronger than ever today. But do aspects of women's rights organizations go against God's created design for His children? Stay tuned. This denies the reality that men and women are different, not only just physically, but innately. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Although the feminist movement may have started out with the worthy goal of getting women the right to vote, over the last 150 years, it has turned into a tool that has catapulted society into an evolutionary frame of mind that devalues life and, ironically, diminishes the importance of women. Don't march off during the next 15 minutes, but listen in as we discuss creation and the feminist movement. So just when did the feminist movement in America get started? Christian Law Association attorney Barbara Weller says it goes back further than most people think. The first actual convention for women's rights was held in Seneca, New York, way back in 1848. Now, that was before the Civil War, and that was the first time Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucretia Mott and some other ladies had gotten together, and they were concerned because they didn't have voting rights was primarily the issue, and Frederick Douglass, the former slave, was also involved with this movement. So this was the start of the movement that eventually culminated in the 19th Amendment, which was enacted in 1920. But even though women won the right to vote, this positive element of the feminist movement didn't represent the true nature of the philosophy behind the women's rights organization. Vision Forum president Doug Phillips explains. The leaders of the feminist movement included the most liberal elements and also included those elements that were, in fact, most consumed with some of the novel philosophies, whether that's evolutionism or Marxism or socialism. And so there never really has been a time that the feminist movement has been anything other than a movement which has been at war with God. Having said that, that doesn't mean that men always behave themselves properly or that women always behave themselves properly, but the movement itself has, from its very beginning, been at war with the Word of God. An example of this would be the divisive issue the feminist movement took on following the voting rights victory. Attorney Weller. Then what happened is after the vote was given to women, they moved on to the next stage, and this was through Alice Paul and some others who had another meeting in Seneca Falls celebrating the 75th anniversary of the first women's rights convention that had been held there. And so in 1923 was the first time under Alice Paul and some others that they actually drafted the ERA amendment, and that amendment was then introduced into every Congress for years and years and years until finally in 1972, the Congress actually enacted the amendment and sent it to the states for ratification. The ERA, or Equal Rights Amendment, never did get enough states to approve it as a constitutional amendment. Why not? What was the problem with this idea? Well, many women at that time were fearful of the ERA's negative ramifications. The Equal Rights Amendment was just very vague, and it, all it basically said was that men and women should have equal rights throughout the United States. But what did that mean? I mean, I was an adult at the time, a mother, and, and I remember thinking, my goodness, if this Equal Rights Amendment is ratified and we ever have a draft again in the United States, that would mean that my daughters would be drafted to go into combat in the Army. We were also concerned about things like unisex bathrooms. That was a really big issue back in the 70s. I remember back at that time, 
My favorite statement was to say that I didn't want to have equal rights because I didn't want to lose the special rights that I already had, and that really is the way that most women thought about it then. We really thought as women that there were some special rights and protections that we got from society that we really wanted to continue to have. And if the Equal Rights Amendment had been enacted, we actually would have been knocked off our pedestals and, you know, kind of thrown down into the into the equal rights pool with the men and that we would have fewer rights than we already had. And that really was one of the biggest concerns. But because of the feminist movement, the ERA issues feared by the ladies of the 70s came to fruition. The most frightening thing about all this is that all those things that we were concerned about at that time and the reasons why we worked to defeat the Equal Rights Amendment have all happened anyway. We now have women who serve in combat. We now have unisex bathrooms. We now even have women having fewer protections with regard to their families and, you know, in divorce situations, women don't automatically get the support rights that they used to have. I mean, all of these things, amazingly enough, have happened in our society despite the fact that the Equal Rights Amendment was never enacted. Let's take a closer look at the feminist movement and how it contradicts the biblical creation model that we read about in Genesis and throughout Scripture. Wendy Wright is president of Concerned Women for America. She says the feminist movement has done a lot of damage to our culture. A couple of ways that the radical feminist movement has affected our society and our culture is with, for example, the homosexual rights movement and transgender rights. Because the idea that women and men are not just complementary, but rather are interchangeable, that there's no difference between men and women, has led to this idea, well, then they can be interchangeable even in a marriage. And this denies the reality that men and women are different, not only just physically, but innately they're different. And they provide different things in a marriage and in a family. Attorney Weller. It's very dangerous to meld men and women together, but we can see how that's happened. I mean, for instance, with the whole homosexual movement, we've now moved to a place where we say, oh, it doesn't matter if kids have a mother and a father. They don't need a mother and a father. If they have two fathers, that's fine. If they have two mothers, that's fine. Everybody's the same. You know, we've just kind of mushed all of this together into one pot, and so we don't even see anymore the the various individual contributions that men make to society and that women make to society that are so important. And so by melding all that together, we then get to the point where homosexuals can adopt. It, it really doesn't matter. There's, there's not that much difference between a mother and father. We can all play the same roles. The problem with that is even though we want to pretend that that's true, it isn't true, and our society suffers the ill effects from it, whether we believe that or not. And women have been the victims of the very ideals and philosophies they thought would free them. Wendy Wright. It treats women as if they're simply individuals, but not human beings that are part of a community. What I mean by that is family and marriage is treated as things that are limiting or even abusive to women, and it's much better for a woman to be out on her own, independent, and not relying on somebody else, even in an emotional manner. And that has has been harmful to women because women are human beings and human beings need to be in community and in relationships with others and particularly in the intimate relations that God created for us. I mean, the first the first relationship that God created is between man and him, between God and man. The second relationship he created is between a husband and wife. And then the third is with the children, so that's within a family. And it's those intimate relationships that we find our core identity. And yet the radical feminist movement has belittled and denounced 
those most intimate relationships. The feminist movement not only hurts society as a whole and undermines the importance of women, it also hurts the family by belittling fathers and husbands, as is often portrayed in the media, television, movies, and books. They're usually portrayed as the doofus, the one who can't do anything right. And the woman, the wife or daughter, is always shown as being superior and smarter than the man and more capable than the man. Uh, and there's no way that a woman would ever be portrayed as not knowing something, whereas the man knew something and is appearing to be less intelligent than the man. So this, I think, has had an effect on our culture where men are belittled, and that's not helpful for them then taking on the role, the masculine role that they need to take on in a marriage and in a family and being the role model as a father and a husband that's necessary for the younger generation to see so that they can grow up to be healthy men and women. Doug Phillips tells us that even though women are the primary force behind the feminist movement, the responsibility for the evil it's caused rests with the men in this country. In the 19th century, we saw some very dramatic changes taking place in the United States of America. And one of the changes were an abdication of responsibility on the part of many men as men left the homes and oftentimes transferred their responsibilities to the state, leaving children without the influence of fathers. Now, it's a great frustration whenever fathers fail to do their responsibility, and it's not surprising that we see others trying to stand in the gap when men don't do their job. This is a principle we learn in the book of Genesis. When a man does not lead with the proper loving, tender biblical authority, which includes decisive leadership that God gave to Adam, for example, it's altogether possible that we could see a change and a reversal in responsibilities. The Bible calls it, however, Adam's sin, Adam's fall, not Eve's sin, even though the scripture also says that Eve was first tempted, and therefore the curse was brought upon her in the context of childbearing, but having said that, the responsibility squarely rests with Adam himself. So, looking back on the 20th century, we can see what an evil impact the feminist movement has had on the creation message and on society in general. It includes weakened men, ladies that have become masculinized, a cultural vision no longer where men are protectors and defenders of women, but where we are sending our 18-year-old daughters uh, and putting them in harm's way in foreign battlefields, something that would have been completely unheard of to Christians in the past. In the 20th century, we see the sexual revolution leading to the idea that we control the womb instead of God controlling the womb, and that means the right to abort children. And really, we're talking about killing them. We're talking about killing unborn children. This came expressly from the feminist movement, which took it expressly from Darwinian evolution itself. When we think of the bad effects of feminism on the 20th century, we think not only of the family, we think not only of weak men, of usurpatious women in the form of Isaiah chapter 3, but a culture which is turned upside down, a culture which has become sexual in nature instead of holy in nature. We think of a culture in which people are screaming about rights instead of talking about their duties. We see a culture in which science is now being used in the name of women's rights to perform all sorts of terrible things against the innocent, against the children, against the defenseless, and against those which are unloved. And so the feminist movement, short and simple, has been a plague on our culture. It has been dangerous for the family, and it remains such today. Even with all the ills and degradation the feminist movement has brought upon America and the world, 
There is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Creator and Redeemer. Doug Phillips tells us that God's love reaches out to everyone and is available to all who will believe. God created man and he created woman and he created them in the image of himself. And man alone of all the creatures in the universe is uniquely the object of God's love. We are also uniquely the object of God's salvation. And that salvation is a reality when we bow before the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what the Bible tells us is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But whosoever confesses his sin, it is the Lord who is faithful and just to forgive them. And we have that forgiveness because of Christ. And if you today are one who has been walking apart from God, who knows not the Lord Jesus Christ, today is the day of redemption. Today is the day to flee to the Lord and to call upon his name. And whomsoever he calls, he will in no way cast out. So turn to the Lord Jesus Christ this day. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.